Hey, this is Tolly Wilkins of Captivate Church, and we're so glad you've joined us on our podcast today. This is one way that we can take our message from Baltimore all across the world. We pray that today encourages you, inspires you to become the man or woman that God's designed you to be. So as we approach um, the, the ending of our series here in love, we've been walking through 1 John chapter 4, and so today we'll continue in with the knowledge of 1 John chapter 4 into chapter 5. And so as we look, you start to see where a lot of the, um, the suppositions of 5 are, are, have been built upon 4. So um, we kind of lead into this, this place. And um, as we do, I want to share a story that um, if you've been around, you've heard um, this story in my own life, but I want to share it in, in context with uh, what we're going to look at today. But um, last week, I mentioned that I w- went on a mission trip that um, was life-changing for me when I was uh, 17 years old, um, and uh, actually 16, headed to 17. And uh, during that, that season of life, I spent three months in, in Houston, Texas, and um, we worked in, in the most uh, rough parts, most violent parts of inner city Houston. And so uh, all week, we worked six days a week, and then one day we had off on Saturday, and uh, you could go to Walmart or you could go to inner city to, to give out bread. And so um, if you've heard this story before for me, you understand that I was selfish and I um, never went to help give out this bread. Well, finally, I did one day. And when I did, I met a young man um, far down the street that was looking my direction, um, disheveled, uh, dirty, and um, he had cut off uh, shorts on. They didn't really fit him anymore. And um, as he was looking up the, the street at me, and I was looking down the street, I spotted him. I waved him close, and when he ran up, he stood a few feet away from me, and he extended his arm and to receive bread. We weren't giving out candy or ice cream or anything like that. It was, it was bread. That's all we were giving out. And um, in this moment, God really revealed him, himself anew for me, um, really spoke of what I understood about his word, but it came to life right in front of me in my interaction with this uh, young man. And uh, in doing so, I had, I had instantly recalled that right before I went on this mission trip, I had been arguing with my mom about wanting a new set of, of Jordans um, and uh, shoes. And so uh, my mom reminded me that the, these things are extremely expensive, and that wasn't, you know, in, that wasn't going to happen. And I remember being a, a little jerk and being mad and angry and bitter. And uh, the reality is, is that I, I didn't have any business acting that way. Um, and I, in that moment, I'm looking at this little boy, and uh, I describe it to people that it looked like the eyes of an angel, like he was seeing an angel in front of him. And the, the eyes were looking at me as though I was um, just giving away this profound sense of love and acceptance to this little boy. And... Uh, so that overwhelmed me. I hardly remember much about the drive back. I just remember going back to our dorm, crying in a pillow. And, uh, and I remember the words that I, that I screamed into the pillow. Um, I said, Lord, I want to look at you the way that little boy looked at me. And I remember that what was changing was my understanding of God's love for me. And so there's an intellectual form of understanding, and then there is a kind of a real-world application of that intellect. Like, as I understand the nature of God, um, I can understand things scientifically, um, 
or I can understand things because I, I've lived it and I felt it and it's, it's with me. And so there are places in Scripture that you could look and you go, oh yeah, I get that. That's in the nature of God. And then there's, there's real life when you're like, wow, I feel that. And um, so today as we get to 1 John chapter 5, there is some, some I feel that that's happening here. And, and I hope that it'll allow you to be able to look at the text and just say, man, do I feel that? Um, because in, in this passage I shared with you, 1 John is written, and over and over and over again, there's these um, assurances of your salvation, assurances of your faith, that if then, if you have the Lord, if you walk with the Lord, then here's what it looks like. And over and over and over, these are pleaded with us, uh, almost to say like, if you're really in, this is what shows. If you're really in, you're going to be living like this. And if you're not living like this, you've got to wonder, am I really in? And so as we come to that, I want us to go to 1 John 5, starting in verse 1. And let's read down this first section here. It says this, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know, last week I shared all the various by this we know, by this we know. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Can you say not burdensome? Not burdensome. They're not burdensome. They're not heavy. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. That's a pretty bold claim. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? As we look and unpack this, we're going to walk through it slower and we're going to look a little closer and see what this author is talking about. Everyone who believes that Jesus has, Christ has been born of God and everyone has been born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. Love changes things. Love changes things. And so today, I want us to look at this text and see the different changes that take place when we've received love. One of the things when I saw this young man and I reflected back to how I was treating those around me who loved me, I realized that while I knew intellectually that I was loved, I wasn't practicing it practically. And certainly this little guy didn't understand. I don't even know his name. I, I, it, there wasn't a long encounter. It was one of these entertaining angels type moments for me where, where God was just clearly wanting me to, to see something different about his love. And so he gave me the opportunity to be a love carrier and, and, and see how does it look when a person really uh, is loving back the one who loves them. How does that look? 
And being on the receiving end, I was so overwhelmed by love that I realized not, oh, look how great I am and look what I did for missions or look what I did for this kid. No, the overwhelming feeling of of feeling that was that, wow, I don't live the way that that kid lives. I don't look at people the way that that child looks at me. And there's a problem in me for that. It's not something to sit back and look like I'm watching a painting at an art gallery and, and just discuss it ad nauseum. No, it's like I, I, I don't reflect that and I want to. Love changes things. But the scripture says everyone who believes that Jesus Christ has been, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever, everybody say whoever, whoever has been born of him. What this speaks to is that that my love, many of us in Western Christianity, we have an insular, personal relationship with Jesus. Now, this has been a very useful picture for the standpoint of, hey, you can't rely on the coattails of your parents or grandparents to, to get you into heaven. And so that's been a a useful picture to say, you know what, is a personal relationship with Jesus. But do you know the downside to that? The downside to that is that we start to extrapolate that among everything in our life when it comes to God. And we begin to say, no, 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 it's a personal relationship. It's just me and God. Leave me alone. It's just me and God. It doesn't matter how I deal with other people. It's just me and God. It doesn't matter if I'm charitable to others. It's just me and God. It's me and God, me and God. And as a result, in the West, we've created an insular relationship where no one else can come in and we act like we have this tube around us that just just me and God me and God me and God but the scriptures don't paint that picture for us the scriptures don't say that that is what a walk with God looks like that hey don't worry just worry about you and God just worry about you and God no it says that if you confess that Christ is Messiah Christ is Lord if you confess that you've been born of God and And, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever. Can you say whoever? Whoever has been born of Him. The love of Jesus changes who we are, or who we love. Our extended family. The love of Jesus changes who we love, our extended family. We've spoken a lot from 1 John 4 about loving others and loving the other and loving the different and loving those outside of our community. And this gets into a little closer to home here to say, you know what? I love everybody that's been born of God. Something changed. My position changed. I'm no longer an enemy. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm no longer cut off from my eternal home in heaven. I'm, I'm no longer distant from my Father. But the first line, everyone who believes that Jesus Christ has been born of God, has been born of God, and everyone who loves the what? Father. And so by default, there's this, there's this love that's supposed to happen to me. There's this love that I'm supposed to overflow with. And That love is that if he's my father and if he's your father, then what does that make you to me? My sister, 
my brother. And, and, and no matter the dysfunction that can happen among brothers and sisters, there is a bond that comes simply because you're my brother, you're my sister. I was talking with somebody about our city, our guests that were in town yesterday, and driving them through different parts. I didn't want them to just see the waterfront. And I said, you know, I want you to understand. And um, they were like, well, what, how did, how did, you know, when people were saying mean stuff about Baltimore, how did locals take it? And I was like, well, it's kind of one of those things where uh, I'm allowed to say that about my family, but you're not allowed to say that about my family. And so with, with our family, it's like, that's my brother, that's my sister. But do you know inside of Christianity what we've become? What we've become is, if your view on a certain topic is a little different from mine, not salvific, not, not if you love God, then, then I'm going to spend my energy and time and my, 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 my emotions, my passions, my mouth on not being very loving or charitable to you. But the Scriptures tell me no, that everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. Say, say well, Pastor, what if there, what, there's just some churches that I, I wouldn't attend? Okay. But is this the only group that's getting into heaven? But pastor, they, 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 they said this thing, and I just, I don't agree with it. All right. But you're not responsible for, for that thing that they said. You're responsible for your actions. And if they're professing Christ as Lord, and as best as you know, they know Christ is Lord. You just think they're in air somewhere. Are you loving to them? It, it's, it trips me out. In our own network, in our own denomination, there are people that fuss and fight and throw attacks at each other and throw mud at each other on the internet. And you're like, you all are supposed to be the leaders. And you can't even love people in your own tribe. You see, you become, you don't just become saved from your sins, and it's not just you and God, my friend. You become part of a family. And the expectation is that when you're part of this family, you figure out a way to love your brother and sister. You figure out a way to overcome whatever hurdles that you might have, and you figure out a way to work it out. When you look at Scripture, you do not see any place in Scripture. I don't see any place in Scripture where the advice is, hey, you're not getting along. So just run away from each other and ignore each other forever. No, you don't. And you, you find an example where, where uh, Paul gets into this thing and, and Peter gets into this thing. But by the end, it's, it's resolved under the unity of Christ. Even the issue with John Mark, it's resolved. There's resolution. There's a love factor that says, you know what? I disagree, but you're my brother. And I'm going to love you. And we've got to get to the place to where we understand, you know what? When I'm loved by Jesus, 
And I understand what that means. So when myself and I'm in Houston and I'm looking at this little boy and I realize this little boy in the earthly terms has nothing. But his level of gratitude is far greater than mine. And I have everything. And when you understand that you can have nothing but the love of God and it is sufficient for you. When that clicks, it changes your view of others. When you understand that you're a sinner that is saved by God's grace, and it's not just words, but it is a a posture that you have every day. I understand I'm a sinner saved by God's grace. When you understand that, you look at your brother who's fallen in sin, and you don't turn the weapons on that person and start to fire. What you do is say, man, I know what that feels like. Because I'm a sinner that's saved by God's grace. And when, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to do unto him as I want done unto me. And so my love is extended. I don't get prideful or arrogant anymore when I notice someone stumbling or falling. Because that pride and arrogance comes from an evil place. But what did Jesus do to the people that he looked around and he saw that they were in sin and they needed a rescue? He became the rescuer. And he loved us. And so everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. You see, in this day, they're dealing with battles of if you're a Jew, if you're a Greek, What if you're a Jew that wants to keep some theology that still came from Judaism that we think, well, maybe the new covenant got rid of that. And so they're having these this this interdenominational spat over who's Jew enough, who's Christian enough. And it's in that context that it said, you know what? Love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's some big issues here. Love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the Jews want to keep doing this thing and they're telling me I can't eat certain foods Love. Yeah, but the Gentiles, I mean, they, do you know who they associate with? Love. And so you and I, we've got to get out of this mindset that says it is a personal relationship with me and Jesus and that's it. No, it is not. It is if you are changed by the love of God, your posture begins to reflect that towards other people who have been changed by the love of God. And if there are disagreements, you don't try to find ways to make them higher in importance. You try to find ways to know and love your brother and sister. 1 John 3 says this, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we shall be called, what? Children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God. We And it has not yet been revealed what shall be, but we know when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We are children of God. You're not the parent. I I have to tell my children this on a weekly basis. Did you know? Stop. You're not the parent. Now what's funny is they say that to each other when they're disagreeing. They're like, you're not the parent. I have two parents, and you're not one. We're children of God. And as we look at our sisters and our brothers, the goal is not to find ways to not like them. 
The goal is not to find ways to detest them. The goal is to find ways to love them. And so our love changes. Ephesians 2 says, For through Him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but your fellow citizens with the saints. And what? Members of the household of God. You're a member of the household of God. You're not a stranger. You're not a foreigner. You're in a family. And in a family, you love your brothers and your sisters, and you find a way to get along. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, Ephesians 4 says, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain what? The unity of the Spirit in the what? Bond of peace. This is what should reflect the heart of the Christian. Eager to maintain unity in the Spirit in the bond of peace. Does this look like what you've seen in your life from Christians? Eager to maintain unity? Eager to be built together and tied together in the bond of peace? The, 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 the sticky, the glue is peace between us? Or do we see difference and we go, oh yeah. Again, not salvific things. And the things that require one to be saved, you should be loving and evangelizing. The goal should be, a posture should be, this is what it takes. This is what the scriptures declare about who Jesus is. And if we disagree on that, I'm, we're not necessarily brother and sister, but I still love you. It's a different kind of love. I love you because I want you to know that you're saved and loved by God. But then once you're in the family, I don't turn my guns on you. I love you as my brother and I love you as my sister. But either way, the motive for the Christian should be what? Love. But somehow we think to those that are on the other political aisle or those that had a, a, a different view and they don't know Christ or even our, our neighbors who are Muslim or Jewish or atheist, somehow we think that it's okay for the Christian to be hateful or, or to be rude to them or to cut them off. And that's not the message of the book. The message of the book is if you think that they're bound for hell, you should have compassion. Jesus looked upon the crowds and he had compassion on them. He, of all people, had the right to say, you know what, you're the reason I'm here, you filthy animal. That's a movie line. But he, he had that ability, but he didn't. He had compassion on those who were outside the family of God. And for those that are inside the family, we need to learn how to have love. No one has ever seen God. You remember this from a few weeks ago. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. People may have not seen God, but when they see God's children loving they get a glimpse. They get a glimpse. John 5, verse 2. By this we know. By this. How do we know? By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey His commandments. 
For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Now, love and commandments don't really go together too often. We don't really associate those two. Unless you're married and you go, eh, this commandment to be a, you know, one woman man. You know, I don't know. Right? Like there's boundaries, but the boundaries aren't burdensome. And so you and I, we look and we say, you know what? What else does it change? The love of Jesus changes how we live. It changes who we love. We, we realize we're in a family and we love those that are also in that family. But also it changes how we live. Our loving obedience. Our loving obedience. This reflects back on a passage, 1 Samuel 15. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as he in, in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. So this is the Old and the New Testament. This picture is painted that, you know what? That, that, that we, in our loving obedience, that we obey in the first place, that we obey in the first place, that's a sign that we have love for God, that we live our lives differently. We live our lives in obedience to him. But most of us, when we think of the word obedience, what do you really think, if you're honest? You think about correction. I think about correction. Because we're not thinking about the obedience. Remember, obedience is all that time I'm not getting corrected because I'm walking in step with my Father. But when we hear the word obedience, you're only thinking about the times that you've been corrected for what? Disobedience. And so you and I have to unscramble our brains a little bit about what this word is and what God is asking of us. God is not saying that, hey, you know what? Um, I'm going to focus on disobedience. No, no, no. He's saying that the way that we understand that we love God is that we're walking in obedience. And correction doesn't come when you're walking in obedience. Correction only comes when you're walking in disobedience. And so the statement is not about the disobedience and not about receiving rebuke and not about the correction. The statement is more about that peaceful feeling when there are boundaries that are set up that are helpful for you. And they're not intended to be burdensome. They're simply there to keep you safe. My um, children and I, we have constant conversation. When, when uh, Christy and I were uh, thinking about having children, one of the things that we decided was we want to communicate to our children the motive, not just the rule. That we wanted to help our children all through life understand that if mom and dad put up a barrier, a boundary, a guardrail, if we put that in your life, we want you to understand it is coming out of an abundance of love for you. And so as parents, we've talked to ourselves to be sure, hey, did you put that up because you were mad? Or did you put that up to be loving to the kids? And so, uh, like everyone else, you got to always talk to each other to make sure. And we've made sure that as best as we're able, we put up boundaries that are loving to our children, not to control them. Why? Because as they get older, they're going to start to look at boundaries and go, why was that put there? Well, dad had an attitude. 
well, mom wanted to watch a particular show, so we couldn't watch TV. Like, and, and, and when your kids understand, wow, they put up restricting boundaries to control. They put up boundaries because they had preferences. They wanted things for themselves, and so they made a boundary for me. When your kids see that, they resent the boundary. But if your kids can see, no, 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 they put up boundaries not for themselves. They put up boundaries to demonstrate love to us. And so this is what's happening in the scripture. He says, you know what? That, that when you know that you're a, a children of God, when we, when we love God and obey his commandments, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And the same picture from the Old Testament was like, is it, is it obedience or is it sacrifice? Let me help you understand why it was the, these two are put up in the perspective. Obedience means I'm walking with God, I'm loving God, I'm doing life in God, and I'm doing according to what he's asked me to do. And as a result, there's no disobedience, there's no punishment, there's no correction that comes with that. This is the time when you don't realize that you're actually walking in obedience because nobody's yelling at you. It's like when you're doing a good job at work and you don't hear from your boss, but then the only times you hear from your boss is when you make a mistake. You ever know that picture? And so what happens is you start to think that obedience is a dirty word because the only time I hear about it is when I've done wrong. But God's picture is actually like, no, I want to lavish love and grace and mercy over you all the time. But in return, I want you to understand, I value your obedience more than I value your sacrifice. So let's look at that word. What was sacrifice needed for? Sacrifice was needed because people sinned. And so God is saying, I'm not interested in you coming after the fact and trying to make it right with me. That's cool. That's good that you understand. But what is love? Love is that you're thinking about me first. And you don't do the thing that causes pain. In a love relationship with your spouse, what is loving? Loving is to think ahead and say, they don't like when I do that. And, and I've got to decide if I want to demonstrate love to this person, am I willing to sacrifice that thing that they don't like? Now, you have a right as well to say, but I do like that thing, and, and I do want that in, and so we've got to talk here. We've got to work this out. But if it's something that you go, it's not that big a deal for me. The preference is, is that, hey, when, when, you know, I would really appreciate it if when you come in, you popped your shoes off because they're super dirty, and then I've got to come back, and I've got to pick up. And so we've got to say, you know what, what is loving? Is loving to say, my bad, or is it loving to walk in and pop my shoes off? Because I'm thinking ahead, and I'm thinking how I can demonstrate love. And so obedience is that word with God. Obedience is, God, what would you have for me? Because I would rather just simply walk in your love and show you love rather than to have to come back and make some kind of sacrifice plea deal because I broke your rules. And so the scriptures from Old Testament to New, God's been consistent. I value obedience more than I value your sacrifices. In the Old Testament, the sacrifices were a system that was set up. You can go back and look at the Levitical law. You can look at how the Old Testament functions. But this was the precursor to Jesus. And Jesus being our ultimate sacrifice to pay the penalty for all of that. 
And so even after Jesus, he looks at us as Christians and go, you know what? I want your obedience more than I want your sacrifice. The sacrifice was Jesus on the cross. But I don't want you to take advantage of the fact that the sacrifice has been paid and continue to live in disobedience. What I want you to do is just think about me enough to walk in love with me. Because my burden, my regulations, my, my, my rules are not burdensome. They're here to demonstrate my love for you. Religion says, I'm sorry after I broke your heart. Relationship says, I don't want to break your heart in the first place. Religion is, what do I have to do to make it better with you, God? What do I have to do to make it right? And if you live your life only running back and back and back to religion, finding the the key, finding the code to try to make yourself feel right with God all the time, you're going to get tired and you're going to live outside of his will, which is grace and love and mercy and coming to the throne with confidence before God because you're not resting in your religion and your works and making things right. You're resting in the power of the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead and gave you new life through him and he's your atoning sacrifice He's your propitiation for your sins. And you're living and walking and moving and having your being in his joy. And you're living an obedient life before him because you say his boundaries are not burdensome for me. And so I don't want to live in religion where I'm constantly having to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I want to live in religion where I say, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. I want to live in a relationship with Jesus where love goes first. And I'm not just constantly going back trying to give out sacrifices. The sacrifice has been paid by Christ. But living and walking in obedience, that's called holiness. And we're so afraid of that word holiness. Oh man, I'm not holy. Nobody's holy. You're not holy. All it is is simply saying yes to God. It's waking up and saying, Lord, today I want to say yes. I'm going to have this meeting and I want to treat this person right. I want to say yes. I want to walk in your love for me. So the reward, my friends, for obedience is freedom. It's freedom. When things are peaceful in our home with my kids and my wife, and there's a different air. There's a, when everybody's just being respectful of each other, thinking of each other first, doing the things that they know aren't going to get on each other's nerves and we're not trying to violate each other's space or rules. When that's happening, there's a freedom. You just walk in to rooms and just live life and you're clicking and everybody is thinking of the other first. But the book of James, in the book of James, it says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? It's that you're trying to get your own way. So what breaks up freedom? What forces us into this bartering back and forth sacrifice type of living? It's selfishness. Obedience is selflessness. God, what would you have for me? And so loving, receiving the love of God means that not only do I love my brothers and sisters, But I love God differently. And I love God differently by obeying Him.
by walking in harmony with him. For everyone, last one, verse 4, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. That sounds awesome, doesn't it? You're an overcomer. We're going through hard times. We're having sickness. We're an overcomer. We're just like, yeah, I'm an overcomer. I'm overcomer. Look what the text says. It says, overcomes the world. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory. Yes, I like that word. Overcomer. Victory. This is the victory that has overcome the world. What is it? What is it? What is it? Our faith. Oh, man. We only say that. We only say, oh, man. We only, it feels like a letdown if you don't understand what it's all about. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The love of Jesus changes our outlook on life, our walk by faith. When we receive the love of God, we change how, who we love. We, we start to love our brothers and sisters. We live in that peace. When we, when we receive the love of God, we start to walk in obedience out of a love for God. I don't need the sacrifice. I don't need to keep coming back and apologizing all the time. I just want to walk with God because his burdens are loving. They're not, they're not heavy. And when I receive the love of God, I'm able to walk by a new standard. I'm walking by faith. Yeah, but what about sickness? I'm walking by faith. What about financial problems? I'm walking by faith. What about people who are not nice to you? I'm walking by faith. And so suddenly, I shift the news reports that I'm going to buy into. Why? Because I'm walking by faith. Every four years, half of this country loses their minds. And you're like, but there's Christians on both sides of the political spectrum. Yeah, there are. But I don't think any of us do a good job showing the world. Because we lose our minds. What's going to happen if this guy gets in? Ah! I'm walking by faith. In Shadrach's home country, there's practically a civil war every time there's a national election. Christians, we've got to do better. What overcomes the world is our faith. But look, I want you to see this. Write this down. Faith is the cause and the effect of victory. Faith is the cause and the effect of victory. Our life in Christ starts with faith. I have faith in Jesus, the Son of God, who declared in John 16, that he has overcome the world. And he said, I can take heart because he has overcome the world. So that faith on the front side 
only begets more faith. The longer I walk with Him, the longer I see Him come through, the longer I see Him teach me and guide me, the longer I understand His Word and grow in Him, and the more and the more and the more experience I have with Jesus, the more faith develops in my bones for what's next. And so faith becomes the beginning and the ending of victory. Because when I first trust in Jesus, I now have victory over death and hell and the grave and sickness and all of it. I have victory. Now, I believe it or I don't believe it. But when you become a Christian, you have victory over all this stuff. The grass withers and it falls away and our lives are like a vapor. They just go away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. I have victory in Jesus Christ. That when I die, I'm going, to be one, I'm going to be at one with my God. I'm going to be in His presence. Absent from the body is present with the Lord. So I have victory when I've trusted Christ to save me. But don't forget, I also have victory when the finances aren't working out. When I, was, when I wanted to have a child and I couldn't have a child. When I did have a child and the child died, I have victory. When the relationship, I wanted to get into a relationship, then I got in one and they were abusive. I still have victory. When I get out of the relationship and say, well, I ever have a relationship again? And the Lord brings me someone in. And that's a victory. But my victory is not in these circumstantial things that will come and will go. Your victory doesn't come because your life is working out. Your victory comes because in the very end, you, at the very beginning, you had faith. And at the very end, you have more faith. And so what happens when you meet a saint that has walked with God in victory, in obedience, and they say, you know what? I got victory when I met him, and I got victory when I walked with him, and I'm going to have victory when I see him again. And faith gives me victory, and my life gives me more faith, and there's going to ultimately be a day when I have victory and see him face to face. We, my friends, as Christians, we get too worked up on what is happening right in front of us. And what we have to understand is love changes things. Love changes who I love. I start to work hard to love my brother and sister in Christ. Love changes my obedience. I don't go around saying I'm sorry to God every day and that's my religion. That is a dead, dead, dead religion if that's your experience with God. If you don't do the work to try to find out what obedience is, if you don't do the work to walk closely to Him so much so that you can hear His whisper. If you're not doing that work, it's a shame because you have access to a God that says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want you to understand walking with me in freedom. And if you and I would understand, victory is not getting a new car. Victory is not hitting the lottery. Victory is not having 50 friends show up at my birthday. Victory is not all these things that we put our hearts into. Victory is not getting a boyfriend or getting a girlfriend or getting married. That's not the victory. The victory is that you're saved, you're one, you're a child of God. The victory is seeing him be faithful over and over and over. And the victory is one day when your body finally gives way. And it may be five minutes from now, it may be five years or 50 years, but when your body finally gives way, victory is absent from this body. I'm present with my Lord. And so faith begins victory, and more faith comes out of that victory. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. 
I pray that this week we would love who He loves. We would love what He loves. And we would love because He loves. Let's pray.